All right, so as the plates get started, you um, probably have a few passages of Scripture that you go back to again and again and again, right? We call that like a life verse. And I don't know if Psalm 34, 8 is a life verse for me, but I like it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's a life verse, but I do go back to it all the time. It says this. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. You know, some people don't really do that. Some people act like the goal of life is to get to death's door safely, and they live like that. But I think a bunch of you are kind of with me. Like, you want to taste and see all that life has to offer. And so you might be the person that you want to see life from the inside of the shark cage. You want to see it from that perspective. And you want to see it while skydiving. What does the world look like from that point of view? You want to stand on the shores of the Atlantic and the Pacific just to see it. the sound of the crash of the wave sounds different to you. You want to feel the sand for yourself as it wiggles out between your toes when the waves pull it back out. You want to stand at the base of the Rockies and look up and just be blown away by the awesome, majestic creation that God has made. You want to taste and see. And that makes my insides just jump right there. But we can go too far, can't we? Like we can go to the point that unless we're experiencing something different, unless we're tasting and seeing something different than there's something wrong with us. We can go to the point that unless we're on our way up Mount Everest, like we think that our lives are, are insignificant, that they're meaningless, that there's no point to it all. And when you do that, you end up in this valley of muck, this valley of muck where you just can't seem to find that lasting place of, of joy, right? We're all looking for that place of joy. And so when you can't find the lasting place of joy, you know what we do? We do things like go to concerts because we like music. And that concert's great until two days later when the ringing in your ears wears off. And then you're like, well, I'm kind of over the concert. And you go to the next thing. You go to your favorite sports team, right? And you go to the games and you immerse yourself and you go all in cheering for whoever your team is. And I got to call a quick timeout because this is true. Like this, I, I'm so embarrassed by this. But it's true. I love the Oklahoma Sooners. I, like, love the Sooners football. Like, I love it. But a couple years ago, I had to, like, ask Amy. Like, I'm not even kidding. I had to quit watching. And I know Wolverine fans, Spartan fans, I know you would never do this. I went too far. I would let the performance of a bunch of 18 to 20-year-old kids who, like, let's just call this out. They're trying to gauge in life, like, how do I go to practice and class at the same time? And how do I compete for a national championship and go see my mommy and my daddy all at the same time, right? So, like, I mean, they're big kids, but they're kids. Like, they're working on it. And I let their performance on a sports field honestly impact my day. I would be grumpy after watching the Sooner. I know you would never do that. I, I would be grumpy, and I'm talking they would win. Like, they would win the game, and I would still be grumpy, like, it was the most ridiculous thing. So finally, I'm like, Amy, like, I'm emotionally, this is wearing me out. I can't watch. I'd still check the score a bunch, just so you know. Like, I checked the score. I might as well watch it because it's refresh, refresh, refresh. So it's a little still OCD. Anyway, maybe to find joy, you go to sports. Maybe you go to your favorite restaurant. Maybe it's entertainment for you. Probably half the people in here, no spoilers, probably half the people in here, you've seen the Avengers, 
Some of you more than once. You've already seen it more than once. So we do all of these things, and we know it doesn't go to lasting joy. So here's the point. You know the point. The point is we will look in the mirror, or we will look at culture, and what we see is we see all of us having so much trouble wrapping our hands around joy. And there's really two kinds of joy, isn't there? There's this true joy There's this everlasting joy. That's a God-centered joy. That's when the goals that you have, the work that you're doing, it's God-focused and God-centered. And what's unique about that kind of joy, you can reach back on something that happened years and years and years ago, this God-centered joy, pull it up today, and it will still bring you joy today. It's incredible. Very different than, than fake joy. Right? If you go to the other side and you look at illegitimate joy, illegitimate joy would be the things of the world, me-centered, right? self-centered goals that you have in life, world-centered goals that you have in life. And we just talked about those. They never satisfy. It'll feel really, really good for a moment and it'll be fun for a moment, but it never lasts. Normally, it's innocent. It's let's go to the movies and you have fun for a moment and the moment's gone, right? Only for the moment and a moment. And then and then you, you had that moment, and it's out of there, and we know where this goes is, unfortunately, sometimes it goes way too far, and we end up in this, this pit of sin because of the illegitimate joy that we're chasing, or we, we end up in this pile of addictions because of what we're chasing. That's the worst case of where it goes to. And so it got me wrestling a little bit as I was preparing this message, what kind of life leads to a lasting joy? And instead of going to what this psychologist says or, or what this vote of the people said, I want us to go to the Word of God for our answer to that question today. It brings us to our big idea. Our big idea is that when we live for Jesus, we experience the joy of Jesus. When we live for Jesus, we experience the joy of Jesus. Take your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 this morning. Last week's focus and this week's focus comes from Luke chapter 10, and then we'll move on to Mama's Day. Hey, if you didn't know, Mama's Day is next week, so you better get serious. You better get on the ball. Mama's Day is next week. So when we move out on behalf of Jesus, we experience the joy of Jesus. Just a moment ago, I said like legitimate joy. You can pull something, and it's it's still relevant, and it still brings joy today. Let me give you an example. Most of you in this room, most of you who are downstairs in the overflow room, most of you, you've placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, today is the perfect day to be able to do that. But I want you to think about that moment, that moment that you stopped and said, I'm placing my faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Do you remember it? See, a lot of you do, and what's fun, I, I didn't even prompt you as I look around the room. So many of you, you're smiling just thinking about that moment. You can remember, I shared my moment with you a couple weeks ago when I said it was 24 years ago on an Easter morning. Remember that? Like, I still remember the moment, and I can pinpoint that's when everything changed for me. Like, no question. And it was like a journey for a few years to get to that point, but that was the moment. Oh, my goodness, my life turned upside down. Right? And some of you, you remember the moment, and thinking about that moment, it still brings joy in your life. And then most of you, you followed that with obedience and baptism, right? Mine would have been like this weekend. It was like a couple weeks after Easter. A couple weeks after Easter, I got into the baptism waters, and I publicly stood in front of my friends, in front of my family, and I said, there's something that happened in my heart 
but I want to go public with it. And what I did is I went under the water. I stood with Jesus in his death and his burial. When I came up out of the water, I was standing with Jesus in his resurrection. If you have not done that, you need to talk to us. If you place your faith in Jesus but never been baptized, we want to help you with that celebration because it's coming up. And we want to help you with that. And those of you who have been baptized, you remember. Maybe it was the pond. Maybe it was the lake. Maybe it was Simpson Park. Maybe it was in a place kind of like this. But there was that moment, that moment that you said, I'm going under the baptism waters. And it still brings up joy today, doesn't it? It still brings this heart of celebration still today. And then some of you, you didn't stop there. You said, I'm going to move out. I'm going to move outside the walls of the church. I'm going to, I'm going to show the gospel and how I live. I'm going to do some things. That's what we did yesterday, isn't it? Yesterday, quite simply, no matter what site you were working at, even if you were on lunch team going all over the place and you were at all the sites, we were showing the gospel to our community. You know what was awesome? This morning, I got up, I opened up my phone. There was um, some Facebook post of people saying, hey, does anyone know why there's a group of people walking down 32 Mile and they're knocking on doors and they have shirts that say, move out on the back? What's going on? And um, <laughs> it was really awesome. Uh, so the, the community took notice, just so you know, and there was comment after comment. Yeah, it was Woodside Bible Church. Here's what was going on. They were just serving the community. They were just going to bless people. so cool. Um, some of you, what you've done is you've intentionally said, I've got this loved one. I've got a neighbor. I've got a coworker, and I'm going to show the gospel to them. And then you went the next step, and you said, I'm also going to share the gospel meaning I'm going to speak, I'm going to say something about Jesus to them. And you got a front row seat to seeing their life changed. Isn't that awesome? When you get that front row seat to seeing someone's life change, it's the best. And you can still, years and years and years later, you can recall everything that happened, and it still will bring you joy today. And the best about being on mission, the best thing about being on mission for the Lord is it's different than baptism. Baptism is a one-time event. You place your faith in Jesus, and then you get baptized. You don't do it every week. You don't get baptized every week. It's a one-time thing. When it comes to living for Christ, when it comes to moving out, this is something that you and I, we can experience over and over and over again, regularly, consistently, repeatedly, and it never, ever, ever gets old. So Luke chapter 10. Last week, Pastor Chris took us to the Gospel of Luke and really showed us what moving out on Christ's behalf looks like he started really in chapter 9 of Luke where the 12 disciples were sent out to go share the gospel to go show the gospel right to speak it and to live it and they came back with joy and then in chapter 10 Jesus sends out the 72 your translation will either say 70 or 72 depending on the translation and if you really like to nerd out sometimes you're going to love this Here's what many scholars think the reason for the 72, because it's not a random number. The Lord is so intentional. Most things are not random in Scripture. It's, it's very intentional. That 72, if you go back to Genesis chapter 10, in Genesis chapter 10, Moses writes down all of the known world at the time, all 72 countries. And so this is just the beginning of Jesus kind of showing, I'm sending my disciples to the world it started with the world that they, not the whole world, but the world that they knew at that time, right? And so he sends out the 72. Uh, now, I want to very quickly catch us up just so we're ready to launch into today. In verses 1 through 12, here's what we see. In verses 1, 
Verse 1, Christ commissions his nameless disciples so they can bear his name to the world. See, the 12, Peter, James, John, and we know their names, don't we? We know the names of the 12, the 72, they're nameless, much like us. You know, in 2,000 years, no one's going to know my name, church. They're not going to know my name in 2,000 years. That's okay if they know his name. That's what we really care about. And that's the example that the 72 sets for us. They go as ambassadors with Christ's name. Verse 2, he sends us into places where the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. We've experienced a lot of growth as a church this year. And yet, when I think about Romeo and Bruce and Almont and Armada, when I think about Washington, when I think about Shelby, I don't, I don't think we've really gotten started, do you? Just think about the number of people in the past five years who have moved into those communities and we haven't even said, hey, would you like to come to church with us? We haven't even asked them yet. We haven't invited them to church. How about the number of people who have lived here for 20 years and we haven't made it to them yet? We haven't even made it to say, hey, how can I bless you? How can I serve you? You looking for a church home? I, I think when we read Jesus say that the harvest is plentiful, that is just as true today. The harvest is plentiful. Christ calls his disciples, verse 2 and 3, to go and show and share the gospel. Verse 4, he calls them to move out with urgency. There's urgency to this mission that we're on. I don't know how many days I get. You don't know how many days you get. You don't know how many days your neighbor has left. There's urgency to the task in front of us. He calls us to bring his kingdom Finally, in verse number nine, into our own community. I'm going to be the first one who's going to stand here and say, church, we ought to get on an airplane and go to Ecuador and tell people about Jesus in Ecuador. And I'm also going to tell you, and we need to go to Pontiac, and we need to go to Detroit, and we need to tell people about Jesus. But then I'm also going to say, and we have to get up our front doors, amen? We got to get out of our front door and tell people about Jesus right here in our own community. Isn't that true? We have to do it right here. So the 72 went, and what did they experience? They experienced the same thing that the 12 experienced, the same thing that you and I experienced when we move out in the name of Jesus. They experienced joy. And so here is what I want us to wrestle with. If lasting joy does not come from watching the Sooners play football, and trust me, it doesn't. If lasting joy does not come from going to watch another movie, if we know that lasting joy comes from living for Jesus, then really, what does it mean to live for Jesus as a Christian? How do you, how do, you do that? How do you live for Jesus as a Christian? What is that supposed to mean? So today, there's just going to be two quick points to what that means. We're going to look at how to live for Jesus as a Christian based on what the 72 said as they came back first. We're going to say that we have to serve the gospel with the authority of Christ. Serve the gospel with the authority of Christ. Look at your Bible, Luke chapter 10, verse 17 is where I'm going to start. Verse 17, Luke writes this. He says, the 72 returned with joy. I would circle that in my Bible if I were you, joy. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Verse 18, and he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Whoo, did you see that? Joy was just oozing out of them 
in this moment. It wasn't found on vacation. And I love me some vacation. It wasn't found in entertainment. And we all love entertainment. It was found in something outside of themselves. It was found in this place of selflessness. It was found when they discovered it wasn't about them. And church, I love you, but you need to hear this. It's not about you. This life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about knowing him and about making him known. That's what this life is about In fact, if you look back, look back at your Bible again. Go back just before what we read. Go to verse 16. Verse 16 says this. Jesus is talking. He says, the one who hears you, they don't even hear you, do they? Who do they hear? Jesus says, they hear me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so I tried to put myself this week into the shoes of the 72 Like, what were they thinking when they went? What were they feeling when they returned? And maybe, maybe they were shocked, right? Because they're just normal people. Now you look at the disciples, they're the disciples. But this is the 72. They would have been like, we're just normal people. I cannot believe what just happened. After all, we were sent out. We were sent out with no money, no shoes, no hotel reservations. What did they have? Well, they had a mission Built on a message, built on a name. They had a mission, built on a message, built on a name. That's all they had and that's all they needed. And I think sometimes we get confused and we think we have to have buildings or we can't do the mission of the Lord. We have to have that. We don't have to, nothing. We need a mission built on a message, built on a name. Church, that's all we need as well. That's all we need to fulfill what he's called us to fulfill. So maybe they were sorting through in their minds and maybe there was someone in that group who thought I'm not qualified. In fact, I think there was a bunch of people who thought I'm not qualified because it's a theme we see throughout scripture, isn't it? So Moses experienced. Do you remember what Moses said? The Lord goes to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh and then I'm going to want you to lead the people. And Moses says, Lord, I don't think that's a good idea. Scripture says he was slow of speech and tongue. So either he he stuttered, he was an extreme introvert, he was really shy, he just had self-doubt. We don't know, but we know that he went to the Lord and said, I don't think that I'm the person who should be your spokesperson. And what did the Lord say? The Lord said, go look it up. He says, who made man's mouth? (laughs) I love that. Like, I love it. I love it because, church, I think we all identify with that. I think we have all been in that place of saying, I don't think I can do this. Like, I know what I feel that you're calling me to do. I just don't know that I have the tools to do it. I don't know. Have you seen all these people? Lord, surely there's someone in here that would be better than me. And yet, when the 72 return, do not miss this. When the 72 return, they returned with this feeling of saying, all the fear that I had is gone. All the doubt I have is gone. All the anxiety that I had about this is gone because I've seen people healed in Jesus' name. I've seen people's lives completely changed because I've seen demons go on the run. Are you kidding me? And in that place, I think they experienced something that I want you to hear so good. The 72 understood that the power of the name of Jesus is not just for a select few. It's natural to say, oh, the 12, Peter, James, John. Well, yeah, the Lord can use them because they're the 12. You do the same. I do the same thing. Are you kidding me? If I do it and I'm a pastor, I know that you do it. See, here's what pastors say. Pastors say, well, I mean, Billy Graham, dot, dot, dot. 
right? Mother Teresa, dot, dot, dot. Pastor Doug, dot, dot, dot. You know, because he's, he's right there, right? He's right there. And so that, that's what we do. That's what pastors do. And so I know what it feels like to be in a congregation. You say, well, the deacons, the elders, the pastors, you know, missionaries. Well, of course, the missionaries. No, but what, what they show us here with this joy that they have, what they're showing us is that the name of Christ has power for every single one of us. Every single one of us. So Jesus hears this news And he celebrates with them. Look back what he said again, verse 18. He says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning. When? When did he see Satan fall like lightning? And so is he talking like Isaiah? Right? So I saw Satan fall. Is that meaning like, hey, back before the creation of man, just so you know, like I was there, I got to see him fall. And he, is that what he's talking, or is he talking about Revelation? John on the island of Patmos, is that what he's talking about? Like Satan is going to fall and I'm going to be victorious. Is that, well, that's why it's so important to slow down and read what the word says. Because when you go back to the original language, it literally translates to say, I was observing. Totally changes it, doesn't it? I was observing, meaning Based on the success you just have from a heavenly perspective, from a heavenly perspective, it's the beginning of the complete overthrow of Satan's rule. It is the beginning of the complete overthrow of Satan's rule. See, the resurrection hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. The the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, the return of Jesus has not happened yet, but it is coming. And this is Jesus saying it's going to happen like lightning. It's going to happen fast. It's going to happen in a blink. And it's going to happen because Christians continue the gospel mission of being his representatives to the world. The power of evil is overcome. Redemption, redemption in that point breaks through. Love breaks through. Forgiveness breaks through. The kingdom of heaven breaks through. Don't miss this today. Jesus has greater authority than that of the enemy. You don't want to miss that. Jesus has greater authority. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. And then he starts to talk about scorpions and serpents, and I just need to clear this up. In fact, I I probably don't need to clear clear this up, but I'm going to just in case, because my dad grew up in the hills of Kentucky. He calls it the hills. I've been there. They're mountains. It's the mountains of Kentucky, but he calls them the hills. And um, I've heard some really weird stories about experiences he had growing up. See, there are people who will read this verse, and they're going to say, based on this verse, we should all go dancing around with rattlesnakes and scorpions because they're not going to hurt you. Church, don't do that. Like, that's not what he's saying. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, Jesus is saying that everything that represents evil, anything that represents evil, anything that is evil, Satan himself All the demonic forces, any oppression against God and his people will not find success in stopping the Christian mission. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the promise that we have. It's not about becoming bulletproof. That's not going to happen at all. You and I, we are very bulletproof, right? We're not promised that we won't get sick. We're not promised that we will live to be old. We're not promised that we're going to be wealthy Here's what we're promised. We're promised that as we are intentional in knowing him, 
as we are intentional about sharing and showing the gospel, that he will be glorified. That's what we're promised. And that is such a beautiful, not that we get to see fruit. We're not promised that. We're promised that he is going to be glorified. So I want to go back to that Moses thing for a moment because, again, I do think that's a struggle. I think that we end up in this place sometimes of saying, I, I don't know that I'm good enough, brave enough, extroverted enough, whatever enough. You see, Moses went to God and he said, God, I don't think I have what it takes. And he was right because he was weak. He was weak. Now, I've told you so many times, you have gifts. You have talents. You have passions. You have burdens. You are unique and wonderfully made. There is no one like you, but you are not Superman. You are weak, which is so good because Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. How is that? Well, because there are no Lone Ranger Christians. That's how. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. I cannot do this job by myself. I need you. I need our elders. I need our deacons and deaconesses. I need you. And the thing is, you need each other and me. We are in this together, living this out together. In those places that I'm weak, no, I'm really strong because the Holy Spirit is just saw to it that we're going to have a church family to do this together. We do this in community. Isn't that awesome? Like, we get to do this together. So if you want to see God move, if you want to see breakthrough, if you want to live for something that is eternally bigger and better than anything that this world can throw at you, if you want joy in your life, then it means that you and I, we have to move out. We have to take the gospel to share and to show to those around us. That's where that place of joy is going to come from. So the big question again, what does it mean to live for Jesus as a Christian? First of all, you're going to serve the gospel with the authority of Christ. And just very quickly, it means you're going to serve the gospel with the joy that you will receive the gospel's reward. Very briefly, let's look at verse 20. Luke writes, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Jesus is talking. Don't rejoice in demons running from you. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus switches right here. So he says, I know you think you are pretty awesome right now, don't you? Like you're, the demons ran. Like you think, you think you're the bee's knees. You think you're so good. But he's like, don't, don't have the Moses syndrome. Like don't allow yourself to have so much self-doubt that you're down here. But also don't get puffed up either. You, you can't be way up here thinking that you did, do the things you're supposed to do, but then trust the Lord to do what only he can. Because you're not really doing that. That's his power. That's not your power. Do you see that? And instead, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you instead to go back and remember your salvation. That's where your joy should come from. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No one's going to erase your name from the Lamb's Book of Life. Because you see, the next town you go to, they may not open the doors for you there. They may throw rocks at you. there. They may run you out of town. It may not be a good experience at all. So your joy just can't be in what kind of results you get. Because results, that's not, that's not up to you anyway. You need to love the Lord and be satisfied in your salvation. So what, what do we do with this? I think it's pretty simple of what our calling is based on the Word of God. Has anyone ever like made a little garden in the backyard? Or maybe a big garden in the backyard, but you've, you've gardened before way more than the first service. Thank you, guys. 
or first service just wouldn't play, one of the two. Like, but everyone here, you can identify with this. If you're going to, let's say, grow corn. If you're going to grow some corn, you don't take corn seed or popcorn. I don't even know what you'd use. And you don't throw it in the backyard. Popcorn, I don't think would work with it. I don't. Anyway, you, don't, you see what a farmer I am. I do have on boots. That's got to count for something. So you don't, you don't throw, throw the corn seed in the backyard and think you're going to grow corn stalks. It doesn't work that way, right? There's a process. The first thing you do is you plow the soil, don't you? You plow. The next thing you do is once you've turned over the dirt and you've prepared the soil, you sow the seed. You get the seed into the dirt. And then you can't do much. You got to step back because you can't make the sunshine, can you? The Lord has to do that. So you step back and you be patient and you watch and all of a sudden growth will start until finally there's some fruit. There's going to be some corn, which I don't know if corn's a fruit or vegetable or what it is. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. So there, there's the corn there. And so you pick the corn, but you don't take the corn and just drop it down in the backyard and think I'll come back to it in a few weeks when I'm hungry, right? You put it someplace dry, someplace secure, someplace safe. Here, here's what I'm saying. You and I have to move out. Move out starts with plowing. Plowing is prayer, my friends. The first thing you need to do is you need to pray. I want you just to start to walk through your community. I've said it a few times now. Just start to pray, Lord, let me see people the way that you see people. Let me see the needs that my neighbors have so that I can fill those needs. Let me see where the hurts are so that I can help heal those hurts. Lord, let me see them the way that you do. And if you live out in the country, go on a prayer drive. That'll work too. Just drive past your neighbors and just start to pray, Lord, will you soften my heart for my neighbors? Help me to know how to love them. You're not even talking yet. You're praying. You're preparing the soil. Some of the soil is their heart. Some of the soil is probably your own heart, isn't it? Lord, help me to see the way you do. And then you're going to sow the seed. That means you're going to start talking about Jesus. That's what that means. You're going to start to talk to people. A few weeks ago, I was having some blood work done. They were taking the blood out. And the woman who was taking my blood, she said, oh, I'm sorry, a couple days ago when we took blood, like there's a bruise there, and, but that's a really good vein. And so I'm like, that's okay. If that vein is good, even though I'm bruised, use that one anyway. Listen to what I said. I said, I'll wear a long sleeve shirt when I go to preach on Sunday. Did you see what I just did? Did you see that? So I just said, hey, let's talk about Jesus. Like, that's what I did. Let's talk about the Lord, and let's talk about church. Now, you're not all pastors, and so you can't use that line. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be lying. Like, so don't do that. <laughs> but here's what you can do as you're walking through your neighborhood. You can go up to your neighbor and say, hey, sometimes as I walk, I, I pray, and I'd, I'd love to pray for you if you have any prayer needs. Is there anything I can pray for you for as I walk? It's pretty easy, wasn't it? You don't have to be the weird person who makes your neighbors run. You can just say, I'm here to serve you. How about this? A couple of weeks ago, my church, we went and we just served all kinds of people in the community. And um, there's just a lot of people who love to serve because we love Jesus. So if there's ever anything that you need help with, please let me know. We want to serve you. And then you step back. Just get quiet. Step back. Don't, don't keep going. Just step back. Let the Lord do what only He can. You don't have to be the Holy Spirit. He's, he's good at that. Let, let the Holy Spirit do the work. So with this woman who's taken my blood, here's what that looked like. She paused and she said, well, where are you a pastor at? Well, I'm a pastor with Woodside Bible Church. And she goes, oh, is that one the one by the Home Depot? That's our White Lake campus. 
And I go, yeah, that's not where I'm at. I'm at Romeo. And uh, she goes, well, I'm not driving to Romeo. And uh, I'm like, you should. The church is amazing. Like, you would love it. But listen, if, if you ever want to go to church, and she says, no, Billy, we do. We've been searching. We've really been searching for a church. We just haven't found a peace anywhere, and we're looking for that Bible-believing church. And I said the pastor's name is Rob. He's a personal friend. I'll let him know that you're coming. I, I don't know if she showed up last week or not. I need to follow up with Rob and ask. But that's what it looks like. That's what the fruit looks like. You see, as the Lord starts to move in people's hearts, we want them to come in and be part of this family. This is a safe place. You don't want people just struggling around out there all by themselves, trying their best to figure it out alone. Let's, let's figure it out in community. Let's do this together. So I want to finish this morning just by praying over you. I want to pray for courage for you. I want to pray for wisdom and discernment as we continue to move out with the gospel. Lord, we do thank you for today. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I pray for courage. Lord, sometimes it's hard, whether you're introverted, whether you're extroverted, sometimes it's hard to uh, just get outside of our doors and take those first steps. So I pray for courage that as a church family, we're bold enough to step. Lord, we celebrate the work that you started yesterday. Just the open doors that all of a sudden seem to be springing up around, of our, around our community because of the faithfulness of people willing to show the gospel. Lord, show us what that means today. Show us what it means this week. Show us what it means in the coming months to continue to step that out. Help us to see when to speak and when to stay silent. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we know that you're already at work. Lord, we don't have to take Jesus to our community. You're already there. And so just give us the discernment to know when to speak and when to be silent, when to invite people to church and when just to put an arm around them in the moment and pray with them. Lord, we pray that you continue to do an incredible work. We thank you for the opportunity we have to see fruit. We don't know, we know that we don't have to do that, that our job's to be faithful to you regardless. And yet we're in a very unique position of being able to um, see so much of what you're doing. Continue. Lord, continue to do an awesome work. We do pray for Almont, for Armada, for Romeo, for Bruce, for Shelby, for Washington. Lord, for all the people and all the communities that are within the reach of this church. Continue to use us to spread your gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we worship together.